Hi guys, my name is Ruby and I'm going to be reading our memory passage which is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, the, of God the Father. Be a hand, everybody. Who says homeschoolers can't read good? <laughs> How's everybody doing this morning? Let me set my podium up here. Everybody good? That was a weak response. We got to get this energy up. You guys good this morning? Yeah. It's easy to be good when we're here to worship God and to hear from Him. Amen? If He's not here, I just dropped that, didn't I? Yeah. If He's not here... If we're not here to worship him, then what are we here for, right? Okay, so we're in Philippians 2. My name's Dave. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastor elders here. I'm excited to be up here, and I feel like I say this every week, but God's got some good stuff for us today, amen? This is Philippians chapter 2. It's one of my favorite chapters in scripture. Philippians 2.3 is probably my favorite verse, but today we're talking about Philippians 2, 7, and 8 which Ruby just read. Let me get my clock going here. I have a tendency to go over my clock, so I gotta use my clock. All right. Okay, so here we go, Philippians 2. Gratitude versus platitude. That's our series. That's what we're talking about. What I want us to take away, or where I wanna start, Let's, let's dumb down some of these words a little bit, okay? I came up with these words, and Blade make fun of them, so let's use some different words, okay? Gratitude or thankfulness, or one of the words that I like in the definition of gratitude is indebtedness, okay? So true gratitude, what I want you to think of when we say gratitude today is real, okay? Real. Indebtedness, thankfulness, readiness to show appreciation for something in a real way. Okay, platitude, what I want you to think of when I say platitude, and I won't say it too much, is fake, cliche, everybody knows what a cliche is, right? I'm kind of, ask my family, ask anybody who knows me, I'm, I'm a little bit weird, it, it's okay, it's okay to be weird, right? I think about things, I'm not somebody who thinks about or does things normally in a typical way, okay? So here's a fun little game I like to play because I can't stand cliches. They just get on my nerves. They're, you know, they're very surfacy and fake, right? 
when we don't know what to say or when we don't want to have a conversation, we just play it off with a cliche, right? So sometimes my wife can tell you, I'll go a whole chunk of a day and all I say is cliches. No, I mean it. Like anybody who talks to me, especially them, I'll just say another cliche. And it gets to be really irritating probably and I just double down and keep doing it. All right, so, if, so put yourself in that position. So if somebody says anything, I'll just say something like, well, that'll be the day. Or takes one to know one. And I just keep doing it until everybody gets so irritated with me that I have to quit. But it takes a long time for that to happen. So if you want to play a fun family game, play the family cliche game, and just talk to each other in cliches and see how long it takes you to get mad at each other. Probably won't take very long. But cliches are fake. Who likes fake? Who wants to be described as fake or typical? Nobody, right? You want somebody when they think of you or talk about you to say, oh, they're just fake or typical or surfacey. Nobody wants that, okay? So when we talk about gratitude versus platitude, we're talking about the battle between what's real and what's fake. Real gratitude, real thankfulness, real indebtedness for what Jesus has done for us versus just fake stuff. I talk with Ruby all the time. She's getting to that age where she gets into a lot of social media, right? By the way, Ruby's 14th birthday is tomorrow. Now, well, got two, two rounds of applause. Now, don't, we're not going to sing happy birthday to her. Ruby's a physical touch love kind of person. She's not. So after church, I want everybody just to give her a big birthday hug. Big one. Okay? But I talk with her. I'm starting to have these awesome conversations with Ruby about what's real versus what's fake. It's important, right? We live in a very fake culture, don't we? We live in a culture that prioritizes facades, right? We have to be able to discern, and we have to teach our kids to discern what's real from what's fake. And so I try to keep it simple for them. Like, you want something real? Just hang out with your friends in class, talk to them, have real conversations. You want fake? Look on Instagram, because it's fake. That ain't people's real life. And sometimes people will put things that look like real life just to fake what they're fake like. You know, I mean, there's so many layers to it, right? We have to be able to distinguish. The enemy wants to trap us with what's fake. Okay, we have to be able to distinguish it. So here's the big question. We're going to talk about Philippians 2, 7, and 8. Isn't it fun just to talk about who Jesus is? I mean, this is such an opportunity just to talk about who Jesus is, his character, and what he's challenging us to. But what we're going to focus on today is two simple concepts. It's really simple today. Now, it's hard-hitting, but it's simple. Number one, how does the gospel challenge us to humble ourselves or make ourselves nothing? We're going to read that in the verse. Number two, are we willing to obey even unto death? Maybe not literal death, but are we willing to die to things for the sake of obedience, like Jesus did? Let me say it a different way. Are we willing to make the trade that Jesus made? Jesus traded, as we're going to talk about, all of heaven, all of the riches, glory, and authority of heaven to rescue me, to rescue us. He traded it. He didn't do it halfway. He made the trade. He made the exchange of what's fake. He made the, 
Let me strike that. He made the exchange of everything that he had that was real in heaven to come and rescue me and to rescue you. Are we willing to make that trade? Because that's what he's calling us to, is to make the trade. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for being here. We just invite your presence in. Again, Lord, we're nothing here without you. We need to hear from you. Your words, not mine. Your truth, not what I would have to say. Lord, just come be with us now. Challenge and change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I would say the tougher the week that I have, the better what God had for us usually ends up being. I had a really tough week, so that's why I think we got some good stuff today. Everything in my notes is highlighted. You ever do that? You go through your notes, and you end up highlighting so much, you may as well not even have highlighted anything, because it's all highlighted, because it's good stuff. Philippians 2 is very powerful. Let's go back to Philippians 2. I'm going to start with verse 5, verse 5 through 8. Because verse 5 is a foundational verse that talks about having the same mindset as Christ. None of that works if we don't have the mind of Christ, okay? So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week. Adam and Eve, their mistake was what? They saw advantage in equality with God by eating the fruit that was their mistake Jesus did not see advantage in that he saw fit to set that aside to lay it down for us rather he made himself nothing say made himself nothing he made himself nothing I don't know if you're looking at your phone or in your butt write that down and underline it he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Say that too, underline that. Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's another translation. The message puts it like this. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what not at all when the time came he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave became human having become human he stayed human it was an incredibly humbling process he didn't claim special privileges instead he lived a selfless obedient life and then died a selfless obedient death and the worst kind of death at that a crucifixion Let's break it down a little bit more. Let's focus on some of the phrases in these verses. Number one, what did Jesus leave behind? What did he become and why? Well, we, I alluded to it already. What did he leave behind? He left behind riches, eternal. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And again, I, the parenthetical of that is in an eternal sense, obviously. I mean, nobody knows what heaven is like. I, I think there's a lot of gold and pearls and stuff. But that's not, you know, we're talking about him leaving eternal riches. He didn't have to. Right? I mean, he could have gotten down here and just looked at everyone and been like, you know, I don't really have to be here. But he didn't do that, did he? <laughs> 
He did it willingly. He left it all behind. Glory. He left glory behind. John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He had glory with the Father before the world began, and he willingly left it for you and me. Let's not gloss over this, what he left behind. This is not a small thing. He left behind authority, or more specifically, he lay it down. John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. He lay it down for us, willingly, voluntarily, knowing the end result. We'll talk about that in a minute. What else did Jesus become? Jesus became human, fully human. That become word is a Greek word, thanks to Bracken, our resident Greek scholar. Borrowed that from him. The Greek word is genoamhi, and it's the Greek word for being born, for becoming human, and the Greek word used here for becoming obedient. So Jesus did a lot of becoming in this passage. It's used throughout these verses. Hebrews 2.17 says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Atonement just means reparations or reconciliation. So he had to become fully human, in other words, so that he could take our place. So he wasn't just the form. Verse 7 differentiates between form and likeness of human. He was both, okay? So he took the form of a human, and he was fully human. He took the likeness of a human. He was fully human. And again, keep in mind, he didn't have to do this. He had it pretty good where he was. Why did he do it? To serve, to die for us, and to atone or take our place, as we mentioned. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom. That's a very powerful word, ransom. He paid it. He paid it to free us. That's what ransom means for many. He also became fully human to identify with us, to empathize with us. I love Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus has been where we are. We have a Savior who knows what it is to be human. He empathizes with us in our weaknesses. So when you're feeling weak, take comfort in that. He knows what it means. He left glory, he laid it all down, and he emptied himself out completely for us. Some scholars put it this way. I love this picture. Jesus was our missionary God. He was our missionary God. I'm going to say that again. That is a powerful concept. He left, he went to come to us to bring atonement, salvation, eternal life to us. So in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, there's no slide on this, but in the Great Commission, when he's telling us to go, 
there's some credibility there, isn't it? Isn't there? In the request. You know why? He's telling us to go because he's already come. He is our missionary God, so he is telling us to go. And you know what? I'll bet the disciples couldn't look at him and say, well, why should we go? He didn't have to come. Of course he can tell us to go. I just like that. It's a powerful picture. He's our missionary God. He's our rescuer. And he did it all willingly. Again, I talked some with Bracken this week. He put it like this. Think about it this way. He didn't come to a realization at the end of three years of ministry that he was going to die on a cross. He knew before. Okay? So not only did he leave all of this behind for us, but he knew how the story ended. And he lay it all down anyway. That's kind of a wow moment for me. You know, he knew how it ended. He couldn't have possibly been in a higher place, and he laid it all down. This is the Jesus that verse 7 describes. He lay it all down, knowing how the story ended, that humility, the ultimate humility for the God of creation, he he could not possibly have been more humbled than he was than in the, the crucifixion process. Can we agree on that? It was an incredibly humbling process, cruel process. Harm was going to come to him, extreme, torturous harm and death, and he did it willingly. That, my friends, is something to be thankful for. If that's all we take out of here, that's enough. So what about us? Are we prepared to suffer persecution or harm for his sake? Well, Scripture says we should be. I'm not sure that I am as prepared that I should be. I'm not sure that you are. Hopefully you are. But scripture says we should be. And I'll give you a couple. Psalm 66, 12. You let people ride over our heads. And we went through fire and water. You ever felt like that? You ever, you ever felt like somebody's been riding over your head? Just crushing you. Really? I mean, let's get real. I mean, there's people in this room right now that feel crushed, right? Like their enemies are just riding over their head, that they're going through the fire, right? Well, first of all, you're not alone because Jesus did it first. Second of all, there's a promise with it in the rest of this verse. What does it say? But you brought us to a place of abundance. In other words, ride it out. But there's a promise, and we serve a faithful God. Amen? Everybody with me? All right. Matthew 5.11 says, blessed are you when people insult you. You feel blessed when somebody insults you? I don't. That's not easy, right? When people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So when somebody falsely says something against you, do you stop? Man, man, I feel really blessed, right? Jason, thank you for saying that false thing about me. I feel so blessed. No. That's what we're called to. Jesus did it differently. It's a different standard. Our culture tells us, well, certainly if somebody says something false about you, you got to get out in front of it. you got to go back and attack, right? That's not our job when we follow. We need to follow his example, right? But the blessings are hard to see. Krista, thank you so much for your story. Uh, I mean, nothing invites in God's presence like vulnerability like that. So thank you for sharing that. And I think it went so well with the song lyric of Give Me Faith. 
sometimes we need faith just to trust that God's good, right? Says, give me faith to trust what you say and that you're good. Sometimes it's hard to see when we're in circumstances we don't understand that God's good. We, it's hard to see it, isn't it? I mean, we can be real about that, right? When we're hurting, it's hard to see it. We need faith just to see, just to hang on to it. So thank you for being so transparent with that. Matthew 5, 38, 42, this is a familiar one. If you have heard, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, sounds like our culture, right? Get it back, get yours. Somebody took it from you, go get it, right? But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. This is a tough one for me. I'm an attorney. Right? But what if I told my clients, hey, I know they took your shirt. I know they took your shirt. Just give them your coat. Just give them your coat. It's okay. It's biblical. That's why we say I'll, I'll be an attorney until I go broke. I get, you know, if I start giving counsel like that, it's probably not going to last much longer, which is fine. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Again, it's just all countercultural. You know, it's the same thing. You know, this is counter to the way we live. We don't expect that. We don't live like that. We don't treat others like this, do we? I don't. Not as much as I should. We think and live like we deserve better. Let's get into that deserve word. Let's dig in now. Right? We all deserve stuff. Is there a bigger platitude than I deserve this? I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. I've earned it. Do we deserve better than Jesus? Do we? We get it in our head, don't we? All the stuff we deserve. I paid my dues. I've earned it. I deserve it. I could drop dead right now. I hope I don't. I mean, I, I'd be fine. You know, it'd be, it'd be fine. But, I mean, we're not entitled to any of that. It's a platitude. It's fake. It's a cliche. What do we deserve? But it's the mantra of our culture, is it not? You've earned it. You deserve it. Store it up. Blake talked last week about we always got to have more. We deserve more. We talk ourselves into it. I do it. I deserve this. I've earned it. I paid my dues. I worked hard. God's blessed me. You know, we'll twist it around to get what we want. But do we deserve better than Christ and what he's called us to? So gratitude says I serve like Jesus did. Platitude says, I deserve. It's fake. It's cliche. Gratitude for what Jesus has done for us means we, like he did, must be willing to leave behind everything. Empty ourselves of our time, money, resources, and comfort for him, for people who need him, and for eternity. That's what he did. We've got to make ourselves nothing. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. It's a process. But I'll tell you this. Jesus never asks us to do or tells us to do anything that he didn't do himself. Now think about that. 
He is the, if you're talking about gratitude being real, Jesus is the ultimate real. Everything. He's the only real, you could argue. <laughs> Everything he asks us or tells us to do, he has done himself. That is the ultimate authenticity, is it not? I'm going to say that phrase again a couple times. I deserve, I'm entitled to, I've earned it. Those are the platitudes. They're overused, they're commonplace, they're not backed up by Scripture. They're actually contrary to Scripture if you read Scripture for what it says. When we throw them around, we're really just focusing on ourselves, aren't we? We're focusing on what people tell us that we've earned or deserved. We just, you know, we either think it ourselves or we latch on to what somebody tells us as a rationalization. Let's look at a story or a parable that Jesus told that I think hits this point. Luke 14, 7 through 11. Jesus was at a banquet at a Pharisee's house at a dinner. When he noticed, verse 7 says, how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. So the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Put a star on that one, guys. That is a biblical principle throughout Scripture. Now, I'll take it one step further. I infer from that that humility is a choice. Either, I think what you can reasonably infer from that last statement, feel free to disagree. We can argue about it. You can either choose humil humility or it will be put upon you. But it's coming. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Do you guys believe that? I believe it. So if we choose it, then what happens? God will honor it. If it is put upon us, who knows what's going to I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't want to know. Let me tell you about, I'll tell you a story about when some hu humility has been thrust upon me a lot. It's hard being me. I always tell my wife that. So our first trip to Honduras out of this church, we had 24 people go on this trip. Huge trip. Awesome trip. The first mission trip I had ever led. Okay? So we get 10 containers of donated goods, 24 people, everybody through the airport, everybody down in country, no problems at all. Well, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Man, I'm a good leader. Look at this. Look at this trip I put together. Well, the first restaurant we went to, and those of you who are on this trip, I know there's some of you in this room, know what happened. The first restaurant we went to, I got left behind by the group while I was in the bathroom. <laughs> I literally come out and I see both vans taken off. So I walk back into the Baleadas Express, which is essentially a Honduran fast food place. I look at all the people working there, I'm like, hey. Hey guys, I, I can't speak, no hablo espanol, un poquito. 
So I end up trying to work myself in. The manager of the Bali Autos Express ends up driving me around to try to find everybody because I can't walk where we're going because it's not safe to walk. So while he's driving me back, the group, some of our group people finally notice I'm gone, which that speaks to my leadership too. It took a while for everybody to notice that I was gone. And they come back to Bali Autos Express and I'm not there. So I end up walking that, so I end up walking up, make that right. It, it doesn't end there. That night, you know, I'm still feeling pretty good about myself. We're pulling this trip off. We're all in the mission house. I run into a chandelier and put a hole in my head. <laughs> Literally dropped to one knee, put my hand on my head, and it's just blood covered in the middle of the night. So we can either choose humil humility or it's going to be thrust upon us. Now let me give you the flip side of that coin. Somebody else who really loves attention, Katie Gaither. <laughs> I'm kidding, she doesn't. She's very, very humble. But Katie was on that trip. Let me tell you what choosing humility and choosing to be a servant looks like. Katie, every night for the first five days of that trip, was doing the dishes, which will surprise no one who knows Katie. Okay, so I'm in the position where, on some level, if people aren't doing the dishes, then I'm going to put that humility upon them, or I'm going to do it myself, because I'm tired of seeing Katie doing the dishes every time. You know what else Katie did? It was a huge trip, so we used up all the food every meal. Katie always put food aside for me. Didn't even ask me. You know, so that, that is what humble servanthood looks like. She chose it. That's just who she is. Everybody who knows Katie knows that's who she is. So, there's the flip side of that coin. The key here is think directionally, okay? Think lower. Think, pick the low seat. Humble yourself. Empty yourself with an eye towards heaven. That puts us on the right track. All right, coming down the home stretch, but it's a tough one. Obedience unto death. It doesn't sound very fun, does it? But it is the example Jesus has given us. Again, we've talked about everything he gave up, and he obeyed to the death all the way to the cross. Well, what's the parallel challenge for us? Well, I would submit to you it's not necessarily that we have to obey to the point of literal death. But we've all got something we need to die to. We all have something in our lives that we need to die to. So what is it? What do we need to die to? What do we need? I'm going to go back to this concept of exchange or trade. Are we willing to trade what the world is offering us, the fake, the cliche, for the eternal? Jesus made the trade completely for us. Are we willing to die to things in our lives to make the trade? It's that simple. That is the example he gave us. If we're going to follow in his footsteps, like I think it's verse 8 or 9 says, or we'll get to it, we've got to be willing to make the trade. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Now, we like to talk about this, deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. We, lo we love to spout about that, right? But we don't talk about the trade much. We're not denying ourselves for no reason. It is an exchange. We're exchanging what's fake and cliche for what's real and eternal. We're not denying ourselves for nothing. There are promises in here that we can count on even if we suffer and sacrifice for a while. 
Let's look at a couple of those. 1 Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Those are three pretty good things. So again, we're trading like Jesus did. The fake of the world for the real of what he is offering us. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I mean, glory sounds pretty good if it's coming from him, right? I don't think there's anything on earth that can compare with whatever that looks like. It sounds pretty good. So whatever we have that we're being tempted with or offered or promised here on earth, I would venture to say does not compare with that. Romans 5, 3, and 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. How valuable is hope? When we lose somebody, how valuable is that? The world cannot offer us that. When we lose, we have hope. But it's a trade. You can't pursue the fake and get the eternal. It doesn't go together. You guys with me? Come down the stretch. Do we really believe these scriptures? I know I, I feel like I ask that every sermon. But we have to read them and believe them for what they say. Do we believe that if we sacrifice it, that if we lay it down, that there is something so much better on the other side of that trade? If we can just bear with the cost, the suffering, and it's coming. There is some suffering and sacrifice. But do we believe that it's worth it to make the trade? How deep, in other words, how deep does this go for us? Noah believed it when he built the ark. He made the trade, right? Abraham believed it when he traded whatever, all the wealth he had to go somewhere. He didn't know where he was going. Moses believed it. We've talked about Moses a lot. Moses traded the treasures of Egypt to stand with God's people. Esther believed it. She traded her safety to approach the king and save her people. She risked her life. The disciples believed it. They were at the height of their careers, and they traded. Do we believe these scriptures that it's worth it? To make the trade, how obedient are we willing to be? How deep are we willing to go? Warren Worsby puts it like this. It is one of the paradoxes of the Christian life that the more we give, the more we receive. The more we sacrifice, the more God blesses. This is why the submissive mind leads to joy. It makes us more like Christ. This means sharing his joy as we also share in his sufferings the person with the submissive mind does not avoid sacrifice. He lives for the glory of God and the good of others. And if paying a price will honor Christ and help others, he is willing to do it. Are we willing to do it? And we can't do it halfway. What, where would we be if Jesus did it halfway? We have to be willing to make the trade of the platitude, of the fake, for the real, for the eternal. And really, it just means we need to die to something, 
or maybe multiple things if you're me. We got some things to die to. So as we close, let's talk about that. What are we walking out of here with? Number one, can we just thank Jesus for what he left behind <laughs> for us? It was a lot. What he became for us and for his obedience for us. He is our missionary God. Number two, let's reject the fake, the platitude, the I deserve, and instead be real. Show gratitude. Say, I will serve. Take the lowest seat at the banquet table. By choice, I do not want to have humility thrust upon me. I will probably run into another chandelier before my life is over. But I would rather choose the humble seat and then wait for the glory. It's coming. I believe it. Finally, in what area do we need to obey? In what areas do we need to die so that Jesus' life can free us to live in a real way and to obey him and more importantly, to lead others to him? It's required. We have to die to some things. So what is it? What is it in my life? What is it in your life that you need to die to? It can be something small. It can be something big. Maybe it's dying to financial security so you can give. Maybe it's dying to safety so you can take risk and go. Maybe it's dying to materialism so you can forget about stuff and focus on people. Maybe it's dying to that sin habit that nobody knows about. Don't you want to be free? I want to be a little bit freer every day, don't you? What do we need to die to? So let's not walk out of here without responding to that. Spend some time during our invitation. Spend some time with him. Ask him what it is. Ask the Holy, let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what do we need to die to so that we can follow the example of Christ to empty ourselves and to be obedient even unto death. What do we need to die to to free that in us? Let's have the same mindset as him, be obedient and make the trade. Let's do it together and see what happens. Let's pray.